Hey there, and welcome to the Oxano Podcast. Oxano is a worship service for college students and young adults that takes place weekly during the school year at Dawson Family of Faith. If you're ever in Birmingham, Alabama on a Tuesday night, we hope you'll join us as we worship through song, prayer, and the Word. Thanks for listening. If we have not met, my name is Avery, and I have the honor of, um, and the privilege of serving with the college team here um, for about three and a half years now, and it has been one of the biggest joys of my life. Um, and I, hope, I wish I could do it forever and ever, but I do graduate, unfortunately. Um, so, but all that to say, love you guys. Um, so. As my mom read for us, we're going to be talking about feeding the 5,000. And for some of you in the room, you have already kind of turned your ears off because you have this idea that you know what I'm going to talk about, that you know the story well enough that you don't have to listen. You can just put on cruise control and keep going. And I would say that it's dangerously familiar to you. It's become dangerously familiar to you. Now, the second group of people in the room, you may know of the story, you may not know it, all the details, all the ins and outs of it, but you've heard it at least before. You say, I've been in one Sunday school class, or I've heard it through this, or I've heard it through that. And um, it's something that is very elementary for you. It's at a very strictly, I know it's for kids, we can, it's good to put on a felt board, but like for me, it's not really living and it's not active, and it can't change me. And then, There's another group of people in the room, and you have walked in with something that you're carrying. You've walked in with a burden. You walked in with a struggle. You've walked in with something in your life that is weighing you down, and you've brought it in. And for that, I say thank you, because that's what it's supposed to be. You're supposed to bring it in. And you're just looking to hear something from the Lord. You're looking for some peace, some glimmer of hope. And to all three people, this story welcomes you and invites you in to hear it. Um, and so, because of that, we're going to take a moment, and you may get a little antsy, maybe a little uncomfortable, um, but we're going to take about 60 seconds, maybe 90 seconds, depending on what the spirit, um, but you're going to take a minute, and you're going to close your eyes, and I want you to ask the Lord to, one, give you a focused mind, to give you a focused mind, to give you, two, a willing heart to hear what the story has to say, And three, a sensitive attitude to what we're about to read. Because I believe that it's so powerful when we ask the Lord to teach us, when they ask the Lord to speak to us. So for the next 60 seconds, 90 seconds, we're going to sit in a little bit of silence. If that makes you uncomfortable, I'm sorry. Not really. But we're going to sit, and you're going to ask the Lord to really speak to you tonight. Um, So take 60 seconds, take 90 seconds, and then I'll pray, and we'll get started.
Lord, it is because of you that we live and we move and we have our being. It's because of you that we can even come to Scripture and see it and read it and interpret it and want for it and desire for it and be challenged by it and be encouraged by it. Lord, I pray that you interpret what you've already inspired, that you fill this room, Lord, and that you um, speak to the people in this room very individually in ways that I could not. Lord, speak through me. Your servant is listening. In your name we pray. Amen. So, starting in John 6, if you turn in your Bibles, if you're already there, amazing. Um, starting at verse 1, it says, after this, pause. And you're probably thinking, Avery, this is going to take a long time if you keep doing that. A little pause moment after two words. Go with me for a second. After this, after, after what? What is that? After what? So that is Bible. So if you ever see after this, therefore, and so, after that, and this happened, that is Bible for, hey, go back and read at what came before this. Because I had a preacher once tell me that context without the text is just a con. So before this, I'm glad y'all thought that was funny. Um, <laughs> after, before this, when you go back and you read John 5, 15 through really like the whole chapter 47, you find this almost sermonette from Jesus and basically summed up, we're not going to read it, but it's Jesus telling them, telling the people that are in the crowd and telling the people that could listen in earshot, hey, I am the Messiah. I am the one that has come to fulfill the prophecies that you're grandparents, their grandparents, their grandparents have been waiting for for centuries. I am he. I am the one that you're looking for. And he's telling them that he is God in the flesh. If you look in verse 18, it says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Not only because he was breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus is explaining through his words that he is God and that he has come to save humanity. And out of this sermon, we see really three characters that we're going to follow their attitudes and their responses to Jesus as we continue to go through um, into chapter 6. But you see first, you see the Pharisees. They're the religious hierarchy of the day. They're they're religious leaders that really for um, brevity, they hate Jesus. They hate him because he has said that he has come to fulfill the law that they hold so dearly to. And they hate him because of it and they want to kill him. And ultimately they do. So you see the Pharisees, and then you see the crowd, the people who are following Jesus, the people who are seeing Jesus, the people who are um, seeing what he's doing, and they're amazed by it, and they're mesmerized by who this person of Jesus could be. So that's the crowd. And then you have the disciples, the 12 that Jesus has chosen to sit near with him and be with him in his life, in his earthly ministry. And those are the people that We really like to say in church that the disciples kind of look like they have it all together. They don't have a clue. (laughs) They are just there because they see something in Jesus that is different, and they know the passages of Scripture that have come before this, and they're saying, we want to know who you are. We want to seek you and follow you, and so they stay near to him. And so we have these three characters, the Pharisees, the crowd, and the disciples, and those characters from chapter 5 bleed into chapter 6, and we see that they still have a little similar of a response. Um, So read with me in John 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, A great crowd of people were following him because he was the Messiah, the one who they had been waiting for. Does it say that? This means yes, this means no. Does it say that? No, it doesn't. It says, because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. They saw the signs he was doing on the sick. 
Jesus had just got done, I remind you, explaining to them that he is the Messiah. He's the one who they had been waiting for. He's the one that was equal with God. And the crowds are following him because he was doing signs on the sick. The crowds were not following Jesus because of his identity. They were following Jesus because they were entertained. They're not following him because of who he was. They're following him because of what he's doing. And I think this begs the question in a society today where they were so amused by his miracles, they were so mesmerized by his fame, and it begs the question to us, why are we following Jesus? More specifically, why are you following Jesus? Is it because he gives abundant life, or is it because you want to lie your head on a pillow at night and make sure that everything's okay? You want to have a sense of security that the struggle that you're going with cannot be present forever. Is it because he is worthy of everything you could have or will have? Or is it because somebody in Sunday school told you that if you don't walk the aisle, you're going to a place called hell? Sorry about it. Is it because he is God and he is eternal and he is loving? Or is it because when you walk your campuses, it brings you glory in the sight of others? People look at you and it's like, yep, she's a Christian. Yep, he's a Christian. It brings you glory rather than bringing God glory. Or is it because he died so you could have eternal life and you could have it to the abundance? Or is it because it's a get out of hell free card? It's a sobering question to ask, and it's hard for us when our, um, it makes us super uncomfortable when our idols, the things that we have put before God, the things that we have set before him, are revealed and our heart is exposed. But it's a vital question for every believer to ask. Why? Why are you following Jesus? <clears throat> and if you don't ask the why, it will disorient everything to follow that. Everything else will be messed up. Everything else will be out of line. And you'll be wondering, why am I doing all of this? And you'll come back to it time and time again. And the danger is, if we don't ask this question of why, why are you following Jesus, then we will be like the people in Genesis and the people in Noah's day that, it gives me chills to say it, that did what was right in their own eyes. They did what was right in their own eyes. You start to follow Jesus when you feel like it, when you leave Oxano, when you leave Passion Conference, when you leave um, church, when you leave Fellowship of Believers, and your feelings get involved and everything gets disoriented. And Jesus begs us, to take his word for it, to take his word that he is eternal life. And don't just take mine. We'll see what Jesus has to say in the coming verses. Continue reading with me in verse 3. It says, Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about five thousand in number. So, people are growing hungry. It's dinner time. It's late in the day. Jesus had just got done teaching all day, and they're grumbling and they're complaining. And Jesus turns to his disciple and he's like, Philip, 
He asked him a very simple question, but considering the circumstances, there are 5,000 plus people here, men and women and children. And he asked a very simple question. How are we going to provide for these people? How are we going to give them what they need? And Philip, um, Jesus, in the, in the verse it says that Jesus did this to test Philip. He's not trying to trick Philip. He's not trying to like catch him in a lie. He's saying this because Philip had walked with Jesus. Philip knew the words of Jesus and he knew the actions of Jesus. And so Jesus was giving him a chance to respond to what he already knew about the Lord, was that he was a provider, that he could do it, that he could provide for these people. And Philip gives us insight to not only what he's thinking, but what all of the other disciples are thinking. And that is, you're crazy, dude. See all these people behind us? It's kind of a lot of people. Um, and Philip is a little shocked that Jesus would even ask this, and much less that he would even turn to Philip and say, hey, what are we going to do? And Philip says, 200 of days labor is not even enough to get these people filled, much less satisfy them. And then you can almost see this scene uh, play out where Philip and Jesus are having their conversation right here, and Simon and uh, Andrew's like walking up, and he's like, Hey, fill up. And they're like, what do you want? And he's like, um, I got this kid with uh, five barley loaves and some fish. Um, and these are not your sourdough loaves. These are not like your big, plump sourdough loaves that you love and you smell and you eat to this day. Mom, peace, love, sourdough. But <laughs> these are poor man's bread. They're crackers. So even if it was good bread, still crazy enough, can't feed all these people. And so Jesus' response is out of the ordinary. He says, amazing, tell the people to sit down. And Jesus' response in this, another count, he says, sit them down and bring it to me. Bring what you have, the little that you have, bring it to me. And I think it's very timely for a culture and a society like ours who whole, whose whole agenda is self-reliance whose whole agenda is I can do it by myself and I don't need anybody to help me. Um, and we are very smart and competent people, and that's not a bad thing. It's actually a good thing. God gave you those talents and abilities, the wisdom, the communication, everything you need to do well. But because of that, we have a sense that our abilities and our talents have the power to sustain us that they allow us to be independent from anything else we need. And you have seen it, and I've seen it. You've felt it, I've felt it. It's weak whenever we are leaning on something to help us get through our day. Whenever we, are, whenever we need to ask for help, it's uncomfortable. We're like, no, I'm not asking for help. I can do it in and of myself. But everything in Scripture and this passage points to a whole other narrative. It actually says that you can't accomplish it by yourself. You actually needed rescuing that you couldn't do by yourself. And that is the power of the gospel. And we have this idea that everything that we have created, everything that we have held so dearly us can get us through our day. But I will tell you, and I will tell you very strongly, your resources and do not have the stamina nor the sufficiency to hold you throughout your day, much less the next hour. They weren't created to. They say that when you preach or when you teach or when you share, communicate the gospel and communicate the Bible, that it has to speak to you first. Um, and so true, very true, 
Let me tell you why. A few weeks ago, I was going, I was just in a very busy season of life. I was running around and I knew that this was, this was due soon. Like I needed to get this on, get it on track. And so I told myself, I'm going to go to Panera in Vestavia and I'm going to sit there and I'm going to knock it out, clean, done, wipe my hands of it and I'm going to be good. Um, so 11 a.m., I get up. Well, I don't get up. I wake up earlier than that. Promise. Um, I go to Panera, and I'm sitting there, and I open my laptop, and I'm like ready to go. I'm ready to get. I'm ready to get on it. I'm ready to read John six, and I'm ready to fulfill what the Lord has asked me to do. Right? I sit there, and I sit there, and I sit there some more, and I sit there even some more, and nothing. Hour and a half goes by, and I was like shove it into my backpack. I'm throwing it over my shoulder. I'm like pounding out of Panera. I'm like ready. I'm like have nothing to do with this. I get in my car and I start to sob. And if you know me, my personality doesn't give it, but I am such a crier. I like, I am a crier. I, pr- I probably cry every day. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> um, and so this is not an unusual thing, but I was like blubbering, sobbing, like <gasps> driving home from Panera get to my house. I'm sitting on the couch and I'm like weeping. And Allie goes, she's in the kitchen and she goes, are you okay? <laughs> and I was like, I'm fine. Don't stop. I'm fine. And I do what any normal 21 year old would do when they're screaming, crying, throwing up. I call my mom and <laughs> I'm like, mom, I cannot do this at all. I just sat at Panera for a whole hour and a half Nothing from here to here got on the page. Hour and a half. Am I dumb? Am I stupid? Am I, pardon my French, am I dumb? Like, I, I like, I can't do anything. And she does what mom says and was like, you just need to clear your brain. You just need to write it all down on a piece of paper. She doesn't sound like that. You just need to write it all down on a piece of paper and clear your brain out. And I'm like, okay, fine. So I put the phone down. And after I just got done telling my mom, hey, I can't do this. I'm not doing it. I'm calling Griffith tomorrow, and I'm like, sorry about it. Not doing it. Um, after I just got done doing that, um, the Lord stopped me in that moment, and he said, it's kind of the point. It's kind of the point. You can't do it by yourself. You weren't created to do it by yourself. And now, I have the communication skills. I have the talents to get up here preach to you, sit back down and get a pat on the back and walk out and feel good about myself after this. I do. But, and I, and I could succeed at it, I think. I think I could. But that's not the point. I have talents and abilities, and so do you. But hear me when I say that God does not speak in results. He doesn't speak in results. Actually, Jesus says in John 15 that whoever abides which is a fancy word for stays near, clings to, whoever abides in him will bear much fruit. Okay, so what is fruit? Is fruit success? Is fruit that I'm standing right here before you now? I got over my moment and I'm like, peace, love, and we're we're going. Is that the fruit? Or is my failure the fruit? That I can get up here and like completely blow it and sit down and like, Avery did okay, like she did fine, but like I didn't really hear anything. Is that the fruit? No, it's not. The fruit is that I came to depend on the Lord. That in that moment, when I realized I couldn't do it by myself, that is the fruit. That's what it is, that I 
clung to the Lord that I abided in him. And the fruit is not your success or failure, and it's not mine. The fruit is growing in intimacy with the Lord. And in the society that tends to look at results, we have to be completely opposite. And we have to look at how we got there. What did we do to get here? And what I did in that moment to get there is depend on the Lord. Just like my talents and my abilities are not strong enough that I can stand right here and do this before you, your talents and your abilities are not strong enough to carry you. They're not wise enough to lead you, and they're not powerful enough to sustain you. And every single time you look to those things, the worldly things, your created things, your talents, your abilities, every time you look to them to fill your eternal purpose, your intimacy with the Lord will wear so thin. You will trick yourself into thinking that these things can hold you, but I promise you they don't have the power to do so. They can't handle the weight. And that is why Jesus says, bring it to me. And scripture says, anything you already have has been given to you by somebody else, so it's not even yours to keep. It's not even yours to hold. It's not even yours to accept as your own because the Lord has given it to you. And so you may have your fish and your loaves. You may have your artistic mind, your athletic build, your communication skills, your academic brain. But whatever the Lord has given you, he begs you to bring it to him. And that is where your full potential can be reached. And so what does it look like to find our sufficiency in the Lord? What does it look like to abide in him? And Jesus says in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him bears much fruit. In the last part of this verse, for apart from me, you can do nothing. You find your sufficiency in abiding and being close to the Lord and having the faith and the trust to allow the Lord what he has already promised you he's going to be in his word, and that's the vine, because apart from him, you can do nothing. So after Jesus has taken the bread, he blesses it, and we actually get to the miracle, and you're like, finally, Avery, you've been going for a while. We haven't talked about a miracle. Here we are. Look with me in verse 11. It says, Jesus took the loaves, and we had given thanks. He distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish as much as they wanted. All of this leading up to a miracle that can be summarized in one sentence. Tells you a little bit, doesn't it? Makes you want to think a little bit. Um, and so the bread and the fish are passed out, and instead of being a small lunchable for one, it turns into a feast for 5,000 people. Hurrah! Miracle! Verse 12. And then they had eaten their fill. He told the disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to take, come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew to the mountain again by himself. So not only did everyone eat until they were satisfied, until they were full, but they had leftovers for like the next few months. I don't know, for the last few months. Um, and then we have this transition, this response of the crowd to what they had just experienced and what is it? They say, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. And if you don't know, that's language of the Old Testament. 
He's hearkening back to Moses, specifically in Deuteronomy 18, where Moses says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. So Moses said there would be a prophet that would come into the world that would be like him, but that would be better. And so when the people see this, they are immediately taken back to Exodus when they were in the wilderness, when they were in the desert. And if you don't know the story, basically... What happens is the Israelites are in the desert. They are wandering because they disobeyed. I don't know what that is. Um, they are wandering because they disobeyed. And the Lord sends them manna from heaven to provide for them. And so when Jesus is providing bread for them in Galilee, they're like, this is the prophet. This is who we've been waiting on. And so what do they do? They try to make him king. And you're thinking, okay, what's the big deal in that? Isn't Jesus supposed to be king? You're right, he is, but not king in the way that they wanted, not king in the way that they envisioned. King here is actually a political term. They wanted to take him by force and with violence and rebellion overthrow the Roman government who had been oppressing them. But that's not why Jesus came. He did not come to be an earthly kingdom with an earthly kingdom and an earthly king. It's really the same temptation that the devil offers to Jesus a few short chapters back where he says, I'll give you all of these kingdoms if you fall down and worship, with, worship me. And what does Jesus say? He combats it with scripture. Because Jesus' sole focus was to offer his heavenly kingdom to earth. He did not come to forcefully overtake the Roman government, but actually to die by their hands. To die by their hands, but not only die by their hands, but to die for them and get this, so that they can join him in his heavenly kingdom. What? He died so that they can come to his kingdom, not for him to come to theirs. And so they come to take him as king and he retreats. And we could spend days upon days upon days upon days talking about why Jesus retreated. Or we're not going to, promise. So, but Jesus goes to be with his father. He goes to quiet his mind. He goes to remember his purpose. And that purpose is that I've come to be an eternal king, not a temporary king. And so you would think that ending there, that's where the story ends. But it doesn't. Um, so after this sign, we come, after this sign comes to a close, you see in your Bibles, the heading that says Jesus walks on water. Amazing. Put a pin in it. Reggie will be back for us in two weeks. Talk about that. I'm going to skip down to verse 22. And it says, well, Jesus is on the other side of the sea. Let's get from context first. Jesus is over on the other side of the sea and the crowds are like, Jesus, where'd you go, buddy? Where are you at? So they follow him over there. And Jesus is like, not the point, but okay. So they go over and they follow him and they're like, why have you come to this side of the sea? And Jesus responds to them and says, chapter six, verse 26, he says, Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw the signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Then he teaches them, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. So he calls them out for one. He's like, you're following me, but it's not because you know who I am and you trust in who I am. It's because you once were hungry, now you're not. You're physically filled. And then he tells them, don't focus on what simply fills you physically, 
But he turns their eyes to the Father, and he says, focus on what fills you spiritually. And then, look at verse 32. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, sir, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. There's that Old Testament symbolism again, but this time doesn't end with Moses. Just as God provided manna from heaven in the desert during the time of the Israelites, and just as he provided bread for the 5,000 to be filled, he provided a third bread. A bread that would come and not satisfy their current cravings, not an over and done, but a bread that would satisfy them in a way that the breads before it never could. Never could. If you know me at all, <clears throat> um, one of my Roman empires, if you will, <laughs> if you will, um, is the story of Antoine Yates. Anybody know that story? If I haven't already told you that story, awesome. Antoine Yates. Take it back the year 2000, um, <laughs> Antoine Yates was living in the projects of New York City. Normal guy, normal life, middle of Harlem, New York City. 2003 rolls around, and um, he checks himself into the hospital in New York. And um, he walks in, and the nurses see him, and they're like, what happened to you? He has gashes all the way down the side of his leg, gashes on his face, blood everywhere. He's like crippling in and they're like, dude, are you okay? Like, did you just get in a fight fight? Like you just got like wrecked. And so they're like, what happened to you? And his response to them is, I got attacked by my pit bull. And they're like, ha, funny, what happened to you? Like, literally, like tell us what happened or we're gonna have to like call the police. Um, and he's like, I got attacked by my pit bull, stitch me up. Let me go. And they're like, that's funny. No, we're calling the police. And so the police come, and they're interviewing him. They're talking to him, and he's not saying a word. It's a true story, by the way. And so the police are like, fine. We'll go to your apartment, check out this big pit bull. We'll see. We'll go from there. So they get up to the apartment, and they're talking to the neighbors, and the neighbors are like, hey, might not want to go in there. And the police are like, what the heck is happening? Like, what, what is this dude cooking up in there? And so they go, and they're like, okay, we can't go in. And so they come from the side of the building. True story. They put a camera from the neighbor's apartment into his apartment to see, just get a look at what's going on. I think we have a picture. This is what they see. This is Ming. It is a 430-pound Siberian Bengal tiger living in the projects of Harlem, New York, in an apartment the size of maybe half this room, not even. So they're like, glad we didn't go in there. <laughs> like, thank you for the heads up. And so they end up going like this little number, tranquilize the guy, and <laughs> they carry him down the stairs, 
and they're like, we got we to gotta go in there to see what is happening. And they go in, and they got the tiger out already, Ming, cute little thing. And they go in, and in his bathtub, they find a 12-foot alligator. What? Hello? I got the cast of Madagascar up in here. And then, not only do they find those, but they find a python. Just chilling. And they're like, this dude is crazy. What in the world? So they go back and they're like, Antoine, missed something. Hello. And Antoine says something that is very interesting. He says, those are my only friends. Those are my only friends. He had a desire for a friend, but he chose the wrong thing to fill it. Obviously, you can take that picture down. <laughs> he chose the wrong thing to fulfill this desire, and ultimately, it caught up to him. Ultimately, it almost killed him. And so, for you, what are you looking to satisfy you? Are you looking to the bread of life? Are you looking to Ming? Hope not. Are you looking to fame? Are you looking to money? Are you looking to prestige? Are you looking to power? Are you looking to a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a fiance? Or are you looking to the person of Christ? And in this sign and in this passage, Jesus is telling us that the only way to true satisfaction, the only way to life and life abundantly is found in him alone. And the world will tell you that they have it. They'll say, you just need to get more stuff. You just need to get more money. You just need to find the right person. You just need to get that job title. And like we have said, those things will never satisfy you. They'll tell you that you just need to try harder. You just need to hustle a little bit more, and you'll get there one day. But at the end of the day, when you eat from anything other than the body of Jesus, your soul will desire more. It will long for more. Why? Because you were created for more. You were created for more that these things of this world cannot fill you. And just like the story of Antoine Yates, it will leave you left for dead because this world only knows how to produce death. And scripture and these signs, they beg us, they implore us, they get on their hands and knees and they're like, please stop looking to the things that produce death and look to the one who is life. Look to the one who is life. And at the end of this story, at the end of chapter 6, Jesus looks to his disciples and he says, are you offended by this? Are you offended by what I'm saying? Are you offended by what I'm doing? And then we have three groups of people. Just as we started, that's how we're going to end. And you have to decide where you fall. I cannot decide it for you. Are you a part of the Pharisees? Are you a part of the group of people that see the truth and choose to disregard it? Choose to deny it and choose to see it as a threat rather than life? Are you a part of the Pharisees or are you a part of the crowd? Are you mesmerized by what Jesus is doing rather than looking to who he is? Rather than looking to what he can be for you? Are you entertained by your campuses? Are you entertained by what Jesus is doing 
And you really don't see him as life-giving at all. You just see him as a movie that would be played. Or are you a part of the disciples? Are you seeking to see? You don't have all the answers. None of us do. I don't. Cole doesn't. Nobody on the face of the earth has all the answers promised to you. But it's all about abiding. Are you like the disciples? Are you drawing near to the Father, sitting at his feet, coming near to him, and being with him? So, we're going to take 120 seconds. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to take it. But I want you to answer three questions. First question is, what is God saying to me through his word? Second question is, how am I going to, what am I going to do with it? What's going to happen after? And then third question is, where do I fall? Am I seeking the Lord because of what he's doing? Or am I seeking the Lord because of who he is? So I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to go into 120. Father, I thank you that you are the bread of life. You are the words to eternal life. Nothing else in this world will satisfy us, Lord. And I pray for every soul in this room, Lord, that they would see that, that they would understand that, they would experience that, and that they would be challenged by it. I thank you that you came into our frail humanity to save us, and to redeem us. Lord, we can never do it by ourselves, and we are eternally grateful for it. You're such a good Father, and you love us so well. And It is in your name that we pray. Thanks for listening to the Oxano Podcast. If you're interested in the songs that we sing, you can find us on Spotify at Oxano Songs We Sing. If you have more questions about what it means to follow Jesus or about next steps in following him, please email us at connect at dawsonchurch.org. We'll see you next week.